0: Uh, it comes from Ephesians chapter one, the second half of Ephesians, chapters verses 15 to 23. And uh, Kate is going to, if you'd like to open it up in your Bibles, that'd be great. It'll also be on the screen. Kate's going to read that for us. And after the Bible reading, um, the children can uh, head out to kids' church and be taught God's word uh, in that context. Thank you, Kate.
1: Um, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 thanksgiving and prayer for this reason ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love of all the saints I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in all my prayers I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way.
0: Well, friends, let's bow in prayer as we come to think about this passage from Ephesians 1. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for... um, Uh, Paul and for the letter that he wrote to uh, the Ephesians and to other churches and uh, we pray with gratitude that that has been preserved for us by your spirit and Lord that uh, we ask now that as we uh, consider this that uh, you would open our eyes and that we would uh, think deeply about uh, how it is that we ought to change uh, in response to your word and we pray these things now in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, Well, friends, how is your prayer life going? Do you sometimes find that an uncomfortable question to answer? Well, if you do, I suspect you're probably not alone in that. Uh, There are, there's all sorts of reasons why sometimes we uh, find that our prayer life can be a little bit dry. And uh, one of the reasons is that we sometimes don't know what it is that we ought to be praying, um, both praying for ourselves and also praying for others. I mean, uh, you know, if someone is sick, uh, then we know what to pray for, don't we? If someone is injured or if someone is grieving or if someone is going through a a problem in life, then it, it really is obvious what it is that we need to pray for them about. What do we pray when there is no sickness, when there is no injury, when there is no uh, calamity or no difficulty in life uh, to pray for, no obvious need? Um, That is, what are the things which we need to pray for regardless of whether or not things are going well or whether things are going not so well? What are the needs which all Christians have all the time? Now, um, in the second half of Ephesians chapter 1, we, we get to hear from the Apostle Paul about what he prayed for other Christians. And uh, these were Christians, um, in, and, and it's helpful for us, uh, because it's helpful uh, not just in our prayers, not just because we can model our prayers on what Paul prayed for other Christians, but also because it helps us to understand uh, what our true needs actually are. But before we consider what Paul prayed, um, how about we look at how Paul prayed. Um, I'm going to pick it up at verse 15, where he says, for this reason, and that is all of the uh, issues that we talked about last week in the first half of um, chapter 1... He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped, what does he say, giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. Now, um, the letter which we call Ephesians is likely to be a letter that was actually um, circulated uh, amongst a a group of churches uh, that existed in the uh, region of which Ephesus was the main city. Um, Paul, as we know from our uh, looking at his missionary journey through Acts 16 to 19, that it was Paul who uh, went to Ephesus and it was Paul who preached the gospel, it was Paul who uh, established under God the church in Ephesus. And so what that means is that Paul would have known at least a good number of the Christians in Ephesus. He was there for almost three years ministering. And he may have also heard reports um, from the other churches that had been established in that region. And he's grateful, isn't he? And he can't stop thanking God for them. Why? Well, it's because he's heard two things. He's heard about two things in regards to them. He's heard, firstly, about their faith in the Lord Jesus, and secondly, their love for all the saints. And, of course, saints uh, simply means all Christians. It means people who um, are God's holy people who have been set aside by God. And so Paul has heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for other Christians. Wouldn't it be great if people were to know about us as a church And the most obvious things which they knew about us that they told other people about were firstly our faith in Jesus and secondly our love for one another. Wouldn't that be great? And that's what Paul was hearing about these Christians. And it's reflected in what he prays for them. So let's uh, get into the prayer, shall we? Um, The first thing Paul prays is in verse 17 where he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, what's the purpose here? So that you would know God better, that you would know him better, that they would know the Lord better. Now, um, Christians living, particularly in Ephesus, with its uh, temple to the... um, to the great goddess Artemis and uh, all of its magic and sorcery and false spirituality, uh, Christians living in that context would have felt um, somewhat alienated, somewhat marginalised, somewhat even persecuted and in need of assurance. What is their need? What is our need? Our culture... Has a lot to say about what we need, uh, doesn't it? What do we need? What are we being told all the time that we need? We're being told about the products that we need, we're being told about the pleasures that we need, about the relationships that we need, the security that we need, even the image that we need. And if you have these things, then you will be fulfilled, you'll be satisfied. But what do we truly need? What alone can fulfil our need for purpose and bring satisfaction and joy? Well, as, cre- as creatures of the creator, our greatest need is to know God better. Sometimes when we're dissatisfied with life <clears throat> and we're feeling frustrated and unfulfilled, you know, we can so easily look outside of ourselves and uh, place the blame on our circumstances or on, on other people who, and so on. And we can do that whilst ignoring the real issue, and that is knowing God. Uh, knowing God, which alone gives us uh, the peace which passes all understanding. Now, uh, this is not theoretical for Paul. Uh, he wrote this letter not from a, um, you know, some kind of a plush office somewhere. Uh, he didn't write this letter from, you know, a, uh, a library in a theological college, uh, in some kind of an ivory tower. Now, he, in, in chapter 6, we learn that he actually wrote this letter from prison, from a prison cell. He was in chains because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry. This is not theoretical for Paul. But secondly, Paul wants them to understand more deeply their relationship with God. Um, Check out verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know... And then he lists three things. Number one, the hope to which he has called you. Number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and number 3 his incomparably great power for us who believe now the eyes of your heart well, what do you think that means it's a nice saying isn't it and it's a it's an interesting way really of of describing spiritual insight that's what it's about because in in the old testament the in the bible the the heart was seen as being the the uh, not just a pump that you know pumps blood, but um, the the seat of our our affections, the seat of our our, our, our will, the, the seat of our desires, and I think we see that in our own culture too, don't we? We talk about the things of the heart, and we're not just talking about a you know a machine that pumps blood. Um, and it was like that. He's saying that um, we would. It's a prayer that they would have spiritual insight. And spiritual insight to know three things. Firstly, the hope to which God has called them. Now, I want to ask you this question. Do you ever ponder what your life would be like uh, if you had no hope? Do you ever wonder what your life would be like if you had no relationship with God? Think about that for a moment. Think about what life was like for you um, if perhaps at a time in your life you did not have a relationship with God. Uh, What would your life be like now? Who would you be? How would you be living? You know, in um, chapter 2, verse 12, uh, Paul uh, reminds his readers, uh, who were both uh, Jews and Gentiles, and specifically talking to the Gentile Christians, he reminds them that they were once without hope And without God in the world. And so, what is this hope? Well, friends, it is that when our earthly days are done, that you and I, forgiven of our sins, made perfect through Jesus, that we would be gathered around the throne of God our Creator. Worshipping and praising Him forever and ever. The very thing for which we've been created. Where there are no tears, where there's no pain, where there is no death. Whilst those who have rejected Christ will spend an eternity without God. That is our inheritance. That is what we hope for and so and a certain hope because the deposit, the Holy Spirit, has already been given to us. It's a guarantee that we have that inheritance. We don't have it yet. We look forward to it into the future. And so Paul prays that the Ephesians would know that hope and so too should we because when we understand our inheritance then life becomes very different. When we understand what God has for us, which is guaranteed for our future, then we can stop craving after satisfaction from the things of this world. And now do you see the second thing Paul prays in verse 18? In verse 18, he prays that they would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, when I first looked at that, I thought, well, hang on a moment. I think Paul's repeating himself a little bit here because he's just prayed that, they, that we would know, the Ephesians would know their heaven, their, their, their hope of their inheritance. Um, and now he's praying for that sort of thing again. But no, if you look closely, it's not what he's praying because if you look closely, whose inheritance is this about in verse 18? It's not our inheritance, is it? It's his inheritance. It's God's inheritance in the saints, in us. Now, what does that mean? Well, um, firstly, when you look around the church, there's nothing particularly special about us, is there, when you think about it? You know, we're all sorts of different people here. Um, We're different... Ages, we're different um, backgrounds, we're different occupations, we're different experiences, we're people of different spiritual maturity, and um, let's face it, uh, we don't have a very high coolness factor about us either, do we? We're not, you know, we, there's nothing particularly fancy and flash about us, but in last week's passage, what we saw was that God has chosen us and that God has not only chosen us but he's, a, he's redeemed us and he's adopted us. He has adopted us and brought us into his family to be his sons and daughters and to be heirs of our heavenly inheritance. Um, we now belong to God. Um, back in verse 14... Paul was able to describe us, he was able to describe you and me as being God's possession, that we belong to God. How about that? Now, why is this so important um, to know about? Well, let me share with you a couple of reasons. Uh, Firstly, when we realise that the church is God's inheritance, that we are his possession... Um, his treasured possession, then that ought to actually um, affect um, h- how we think about uh, ourselves and how we think about each other. Um, the Ephesians, uh, they were both Jews who'd become Christians and they were Gentiles who'd become Christians. And in chapter two, which we'll look at in ne- over the next week or two, we'll see that Paul was absolutely passionate, He was passionate for them to know and to understand and to be, although they are different, to be united as one in Christ Jesus. Not separating from each other, but loving each other, knowing that each one of them was part of God's possession, God's inheritance. And so, therefore, should we... We should be united in knowing that. Now, the second thing is that we are sinners who have received forgiveness. And in chapter 3 of Ephesians, the the spiritual powers, the powers uh, that exist in the spiritual realm, uh, the powers in all of the universe, the powers who oppose God, Satan and his cohorts, (laughs) They are absolutely dumbfounded by us. They are dumbfounded by the fact that uh, we who are so undeserving of being God's, God's, God's family, God's children, that we now actually are. They are dumbfounded because what looked like the foolishness of the cross has now been revealed as God's incredible wisdom that sinners who are bound for hell can now, can now approach the throne of God full of confidence, full of assurance, because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And that's us. We are God's inheritance. We are God's possession who are heading towards our heavenly hope. But how can we be confident that we'll get to the finish line? How can we be confident that we'll make it to the end? Now, um, put yourself in the shoes of one of those uh, Christians in Ephesus. They're thinking, Paul, all that, what you're saying sounds fine, but, gee, it's hard sometimes. I just don't know whether or not I can, I can stick it out. You know, they lived in the thick of, of idol worship. What is it that they needed? Well, they needed to know their heavenly hope. Um, they needed to know that God uh, treasured them as his possession. And finally, they needed to know of God's power to protect them. And we need to know that too, don't we? We need to grasp that. Because for some of us, being Christian can sometimes be be tough. Um, it's tough if you're married to someone who doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ. That can be really hard. Uh, it can be really tough, you know, when you spend most of your working week at, at work or at school or uni um, with... Um, people, some of whom can be quite influential uh, in that group who really don't know and don't love the Lord Jesus and maybe don't know and don't love you as a result of that. And sometimes it can feel like we're sort of standing alone. But we're never alone. Because in verse 19... The third thing Paul wants the Ephesians to know is this. Check it out, verse 19. He wants them to know his incomparably great power for us who believe, which is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all authority power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the age to come now there's a heck of a lot in that to unpack isn't there but let me put it simply none of us none of us can can truly comprehend the power of god can we but what paul's saying here is that if if god raised jesus from the dead and if god exalted the risen Jesus, to heaven to sit at his right hand from where he rules the universe, if God has done that, if God has raised Jesus from the dead, if God has defeated death, if God has broken the hold that Satan had over us, then that is the power that is at work in us. And that's comforting. That is very comforting. Because God's got our back. And it's the sort of thing which gives us confidence to stand firm for Christ no matter what the circumstances are. Knowing that He who is at work in us is far and away more powerful than he who is at work in the world. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus means that in the spiritual battle for our hearts that God is already victorious. In verse 22, the resurrected Jesus now rules over all of creation and why does he rule over all of creation? What does he say? Paul say there? For the sake of the church, for us, which I take it to mean that, that God's power is at work uh, in the events and in the affairs of the world and in our lives, uh, in order to, to firstly to create His church, uh, and then to grow and to protect his church and to bring us home, to bring us into. Our heavenly inheritance. That's terrific, isn't it? And you know what? It gets even better because that's not all, because if that's not enough, not only does Jesus rule the universe, but he also fills the church. Check it out, verse 22. And God places all and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, what does that mean? Well, you know, uh, in the Old Testament, um, <clears throat> they built the sanctuary and, and later built the temple and and God filled the temple, didn't he? And, and when God filled the temple, what, what happened? Well... <laughs> The temple shone so, and, it was, and it said that the, that the glory of the Lord filled the temple, that the temple was filled with his glory. And friends, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, God now fills us um, for we are the temple uh, we are God's dwelling place. Um, take a look at, um, if you've got your Bibles open there, go over to chapter 2, verse 22, um, which we'll come to in a week or two's time, but uh, here's a bit of a foretaste. In chapter 2, verse 22, we're, we're speaking about Jesus. Paul says, and I quote, And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. God dwells in us. The spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus, fills the church. And so Jesus rules this world and by his spirit he fills the church. Now, um, these are glorious things. This is a splendid vision of the church. And yet in the struggles of life, um, things may not be always look this way and that's because we don't look at the struggles of this life correctly that's because we look at the world through um, in a very human way and this is why Paul at the beginning of this prayer prays for the eyes of our hearts to be opened to pull back the curtain and to see the reality with spiritual insight. so how does all of this help us in our prayers? Um, the Bible of course tells us that we can pray for anything Ephesians chapter, uh, Philippians chapter 4 verse 12 in, in, in all things by prayer and petition bring your requests to God right? there is nothing you know is there anything too too small um, for us to pray to God about? No there isn't. Is there anything too big for us to pray to God about? No, there isn't. We can pray to God about anything and everything, um, except we we don't pray to him for sinful things. (laughs) That's the exception. But we can pray for God for all sorts of things. So when someone is sick, what is the right thing for us to do? To pray for them. (laughs) In fact, we're commanded to pray for them. We're instructed to do so. Uh, when, 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 when there is a need that we are aware of, what should we do about it? We should pray about it. But are we praying for the things which are truly our greatest need? Paul's prayer here—you've uh, got to say—it's pretty intense, isn't it? It's heavy duty, but it's what we need because there is not one person amongst us here in this building or watching on the live stream, uh, there's not one person who would not benefit from having a deeper, a fuller, a richer understanding of God and of the hope that we have because of Christ and the strength that he exerts uh, in order to protect us and to keep us. Now, I I very often do not know the specific things I need to pray for people. You know, I don't even know the specific things I need to pray for members of my own family, you know, because I've got, you know, one <laughs> one who lives in Canberra, the other one's in Sydney and they're all, they've got their lives that they're living and I don't, you know, I don't... Um, <clears throat> hover around them trying to find out every detail of their life and I I often don't know what's going on and I think that's fair enough but we can always pray and I can always pray and pray each day that they would know God better that they would trust in their heavenly inheritance and not in the things of this world and that they would have the confidence in God's strength, knowing of God's strength, to continue to stand for him. And we can pray that. Uh, we can all each pray that for one another. Imagine that. Imagine if every person in this church, you know, had someone else in this church who was praying these kind of things for them, to know God better, to grasp who we are in Christ as God's special possession, his inheritance, and to understand God's power is at work in us. Imagine if we were all being prayed for about those things. What kind of people would we be? What kind of church would we be? Would we be divided? Would we be... Directionless? Would we be defeated? I don't think so. Hardly. No, I think if we were praying these kind of prayers for each other, then, like the Ephesians, others would know about us, others would hear about us, and what would they say about us? These people, amazing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and love for one another, and a certainty in their heavenly hope. Right, so why don't we now pray this for each other, shall we? <clears throat> Please join with me. Father, we want to thank you for uh, all these things which we've seen in this passage, which tell us of, of who we are in, in Christ and the relationship that we have with you. And Father, which uh, help us to think through who you are and what you've done for us and how much you treasure us. Father, that we know the future that you have for us. Our Lord, we pray for each and every one of us that in no matter our circumstances of life, that we would be putting our trust and our hope in these things. Father, um, may we not be swayed by the things of this world May we not think that we need to find fulfilment in the here and the now. May we look forward to that um, treasure in heaven. Father, we pray that um, we would each be growing in our knowledge of you, our love for you, and our love for one another, all because of Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.